Hey everybody, this is Keith Hancock alongside with my longtime industry pal, Christine DeVita. And welcome to another episode of Behind the Counter. Christine, nice to see you again. Welcome back to our amazing podcast. How are you? Good, Keith. How are you? Good. Well, at least I'd like to think it's amazing. Hopefully those listening think it's amazing. I think um, we should, uh, we should, we need to plug, we need some, uh, we need some five-star reviews out there, guys. So, yeah, uh, go out. to, yeah, go to Apple podcasts, throw us some five-star reviews. You don't have to comment. Just, j- just hit on the five stars. We'll be happy. Appreciate it. Thank you for the favor. Um, so Christine, as we open up, we'll talk about some current events for our leaders. I know I will let you lead into this. I know you wanted to start off with the Cove Hole of Cove Hole. The man who oh. needs no introduction. Oh, um, King Cole himself, Big Bird de Blasio. What's going on with him? Yeah, so we, we have a couple of things I want to talk about. We have uh, de Blasio, we have Starbucks, and uh, we have the East Village. So let's start with uh, my favorite person in, in New York City. Bill de Blasio orders restaurants now to tear down unused outdoor dining structures ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, he probably, Probably needed a new cycle because he was only in one, uh, one publication that week, uh, which was Eater New York. But uh, so, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced during a press conference on Monday, and I never listen to his press conferences because I'll never get that time back, um, that the Department of Transportation has already begun checking into the city's nearly 10,000 sheds, huts, and any other forms of alfresco dining that sprung up during the pandemic as part of the open restaurants program. Um, as of Monday, the city has removed 24 abandoned, non-compliant, or destroyed outdoor dining setups that take up parking spaces, and that came from a Department of Transportation spokesperson, which I think mm-hmm. de Blasio has nothing better to do but to be a complete asshole again and start messing with restaurants. Because his buddy, what, who, what, what was his name again? Cuomo? Haven't heard his name in a while. He yeah, kind of like died off very quickly. Thank God. Thank God. But, um, you know, since him and de Blasio were in cahoots with each other, he went ahead and um, announced the beginning of this year that uh, dining was allowed for a whole other year now, outdoor dining. Because he knew that de Blasio was going to start with the stupid uh, vaccine mandate uh, right. or, uh, for customers um, for right. the five boroughs. So. Now de Blasio just wants to be a cove hole and now pester these restaurants to take, take down their outdoor seating, which quite honestly, does he know if they're still going to use them or not? You have no idea because you have no idea what's coming down the pipeline from de Blasio or uh, the new governor. What's her name right. again? Kathy Hochul? I, I think that's who it is, yeah. She was the lieutenant governor, whatever that means. Yeah, she's just holding a spot until they hire a more competent governor. But that's that. And then we have Starbucks employees are now seeking to unionize. Um, ever since uh, the three Starbucks and Buffalo uh, rallied to organize the chain's first union in the country, two so-called support managers from out of state have been working with the baristas um, to kind of make it happen. Employees say it's been viewed as an intimidation tactic to break down the efforts to unionize. So um, that's what Starbucks, but you know what? This you whole know, unionization of this restaurant world has been going on for years because we always hear about some chain that is looking to unionize or employees of that chain are looking to unionize. 
And it never happens. You know why? Because it's really not as much in their favor as they think. And if the, the company does good enough job communicating, they will realize that they're not gonna, that the juice won't be worth the squeeze for them. When right. I worked for Applebee's, it feels like 100 years ago, right when I first started working there, they were trying to unionize Applebee's. And we had the rat in front of the place at the Times Square location. Oh, wow. All of that stuff. And um, it's interesting. That was the UFCW. You think that's what it's called, union. And, you know, we had the pamphlets in and they did the vote and they were trying to get them to unionize. They wound up not getting one vote from anybody in both of the Applebee's and Times Square. Not one employee in the end voted to go union because we properly communicated to them and also laid out that you're just going to be paying a union dues and not really getting anything more than you're getting now with us and back then in regards to paid right. time off and things exactly. like, things along those lines. And I'm sure the union I'm sure the union is trying it outside of New York City because they have to stay strong and I mean with the New York labor laws nowadays and within the city it's practically unionized anyway. In fact, it would almost be worse for them probably to go union. They would, probably, they would probably lose things. So I'm sure the union isn't happy about that because the actual laws that are put into place makes them less relevant. That's just my two cents on that. But, you know, back to that, it's funny. I remember this was like 2009 when this was happening. Six months after the vote, all of the people that were trying to get the staff to unionize wound up going to jail for embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from the union. Well, there you go. Rights. Okay. So, nice. And we were happy to post that and put that all over the place too, which was just the timing couldn't have been better. So because Very remember, nice. this politicians are crooked and unions are kind of like a branch off of that political scene at the end of the day. Right. And it's run by the same like minded people, you know, mm -hmm. where there's people and it's people who want to rule people and take money from them and tell them how to spend their money. Right. And it's just I'm not saying unions are bad. They're great in a lot of cases, teachers, cops. But when it comes to the food right. service. They're in certain industries, not the restaurant right. industry. It's not never, ever, industry. ever going to benefit you as an hourly employee in the restaurant industry. But right. for some reason, these hourly employees try to use that as leverage. And at the end of the day, it's just going to hurt you. So smarten up about the unionization within, within the industry. It's not going to help you at all. Right. Not and if you work in Manhattan or, or rather the five boroughs, you'll probably get less at this point comparatively to what you get just by the companies having to adhere to what the current labor laws are. Exactly. Exactly. So and with that, that also brings an interesting article that I was reading and it's about 10 restaurants leading way on automation and robotics. And I know like for burgers, they have that thing flippy. So this is obviously going to be coming down the pike because flippy never worked out. I don't know if you ever read about that one that they had. It was, mm -hmm. I think it was an Asian and, I could see it working in stadiums and I could see it working in almost like an airport setting, but okay. in the, in the front lines of a restaurant that may not work, but the, it, the technology is getting there. Now I remember, in fact, he listens to this show. My brother-in-law sent me an article on Flippy like two years ago. And I was like, the technology wasn't there yet, but obviously like every, anything, um, technology evolves and there's trial and error and we're starting to see more chains go to this and to quote the magazine called back a house which is an online publication okay they put an article out august 26th 10 restaurants leading the way on automation and robotics and some of them are chains quite honestly i've never heard of i've heard of cali burger costco pizza now apparently is all made through a robot costco pizza yeah wow 
huh. which Domino's now is is leading the way. They're they're one of the people. El Pollo Loco, Cali Burger, Zumi Pizza, mm-hmm. Zumi Pizza in California. Yep. They added robotic workers to their business. Pizza making robots roll out their pizza dough, add sauce, and then transport the assembled pizza into the oven and remove it once it's finished cooking. Right. So, you know, and I'm against, it's funny, like, well, well back to this Hala guys, Goldilocks and Crawdaddies I heard of is using a thing called Drinkbot where they're making, and it's actually a thing that can mix cocktails by the touch really? of a button to eliminate a service bartender. You know what I see in like 10 years just reading that? What? I see a POS system linked up to a kitchen display system that links up to a machine that when a server rings in, martini it'll just bust a martini out on service bar you know That's what i mean pretty much probably what's going to happen in the next couple of years but yeah. there are a few there there's a few benefits to automation in restaurants right so first of all I'll be honest with you i don't want to see any of the norm going away and i'm not a fan of the whole robotic you know or robots replacing humans because it just takes that personalization out of the restaurant or out of the quick serve um, that you get, you need that human interaction is what I'm trying to say. Right. But anyway, there's other benefits to automate, uh, automate automation in restaurants. Robots eliminate user error. You, obviously, the manager won't need to worry about a robot misunderstanding an order or making something incorrectly. Um, you can ensure correct portion control and reduce food waste. Uh, automation in restaurants is still a novelty. So using robots in your restaurant could give your esta- uh, establishment publicity and bring in curious cu- customers. So essentially increasing food traffic, uh, foot traffic. Uh, automated machines don't need to take uh, sick days or call off at work. So these guys could work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Right. Right. It wasn't Domino's somewhere in certain markets. They were delivering pizzas on little things that were, wasn't even controlled by a human. I think so. I read I that somewhere. So. I can't find any. I, it's just something that popped in my head as you were talking. And listen, I'm not saying this to be threatening to our people. It just kind of like made me think as you, when you were talking about the unionizing, it made me think about this article because it's like the two kind of go hand in hand. And I'm with you. Well, right. let's, you know, take a step back. Automation and food production has been there on a mass scale for years and years and years. Correct. I mean, obviously there's not you know, somebody back there working in the ragu factory making terrible marinara sauce and jarring it themselves, you know? Right. So right. it's just now it's some of it has to be looked at like how do I how do I put that on a on less of a scale really for, right. for the people, you know? Um Costco Pizza, not surprised that that's made by a robot. David Portnoy gave it a point oh zero point eight. I was just reading uh, in an article. He actually tried Oh really? It. Yeah. And, you know, it is what it is, but it's something coming up and that's going to, you can't unionize machines, like you said, but if, but taking the human touch out of the hospitality business, I think is, is a long stretch away, but there certainly is, you know, some, some more advances coming down the pike with that. Well, you have, you have automation in front of the house right now in some, in some chains, like Wendy's and McDonald's, like familiar chains for us, Panera Bread, Shake Shack, they're saying also. Um, to do like the, the, the kiosks, right? The, right. the self-service kiosks, which I'll right. be honest with you, I think are a complete waste of time. I've used them in, in uh, McDonald's and it's just, 
first of all, they're dirty. Nobody's sanitizing the screens. That's number two. Okay. Number three, they're 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 hard to use. Okay. To navigate because you got the full menu on there. Okay. It's then it's taking payment or doing whatever. I rather just go right up to a cash register and say, I want the Big Mac meal with the medium Sprite and the medium fries, um, no mayo, no ketchup, no onion, and call it a day. That for me is easy. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have I, me playing around in the computer screen, it's like I'm on DoorDash ordering my food. Right. Like for me, well, it just doesn't make too much sense. I hate kiosks and I hate self-checkout, but I love app ordering. I haven't gone to the yes. counter at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. And I, I, in fact, it almost annoys me now to have to go there, to be honest with you. Oh, it's really? All app- Do you know I haven't oh, yeah. used their app yet? I mean, I have really? once or twice. I should use it because I'm in Dunkin' Donuts every day. but um. Yeah, it would just be so much easier because I'm that person that walks in. If I see three people online right away, they're taking too long and I just walk out and I'll go drive down the block to the other Dunkin' Donuts. That's foreign to me at this point because I just just (laughs) walk right in and I grab it. And, you know, um, depending on where I'm at in certain places, I'll go to Starbucks here or Dunkin' Donuts there. And I know exactly what block to bring up my app and order it. And it's like it works perfect every time. And I also feel like I'm not eliminating a job. You know? Oh, really? So much, so much too. Not really. I mean, at the end of the day, because from behind the line, when it comes to putting those things, um, you know, when it comes to executing, now you have somebody that you need to really kind of expedite the whole situation when you're putting it up on the correct shelves between stationing things for a delivery partner pickup or a mobile app pickup, you know, there's, that's actually a body that facilitates all of those things. So they're right. not just, they're not behind the cash register. They're more managing shelves and making sure that the Grubhub driver isn't taking the Uber Eats bag and making sure that the guest isn't taking the Grubhub bag and all of those things. So it is self-sufficient, but it, you still need a human body there as well. And then there's also, oh, wow. there's also certain ways that, and you can almost train the guest. Like I'm trained at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts now. I'm a pro. Because they have different ways to identify what is a guest and what is a delivery partner and vice versa. And you just kind of, um, like, I, I just know now where to go. You know what I mean? Right. And you kind of, like, get that repetition down. And you need that other part person there, the foster with the delivery partners. Because if you run a Starbucks on 57th and 7th, right, you're going to get a lot of the same Grubhub drivers. You're going to get a lot of the same people every day. And it is almost like a training process for them. And you have that person there to facilitate, which is pretty interesting. And that's something that we've been seeing with the self-automation. Well, you know what they have out now is a couple of restaurants have the drone delivery for food. So Mm -hmm. El Polo Loco uh, launched their backyard drone delivery program, um, Mm -hmm. I think, in May or June. I think that would be really? kind of cool if I ordered food and it came by drone. I'd be like, this is great. That would actually be pretty cool. The experience yeah. of it. El Poco Loco says will become the first national restaurant company to experiment with door-to-backyard drone delivery. On June 24th, the Costa Mesa-based restaurant chain, known for its fire-roasted chicken, will test Air Loco, its drone delivery from restaurant kitchens to customers. Hmm. You believe that? This That's is what this cool. world is coming to? And now you have, obviously, 
my uh, my favorite third party delivery app, um, and I say that um, sarcastically. Uber Eats is going to get on it. Is getting on the drone bandwagon. Uber mm. Eats will soon be delivering right takeout food via drone technology. Mm. As early as well, yeah, twenty twenty one. Their service could be with us as early as twenty twenty one. Haven't seen anything yet. So maybe they bumped that up to 2022. But mm. Uber is keeping its cards close to its chest when it comes to the exact nature of its drone-related plans, but has made no secret of the fact that it's interested in adding the technology to its Uber, East, uh, Uber Eats offerings. Uh, the job listing spotted by the Wall Street Journal suggests the service will be named Uber Express. Okay. So we'll see. Well, we'll see what's what, Uber Eats. Be curious to see. I so know, moving right? into the title of our episode today, The Devil is in the Details. Yeah. Talking a little bit about the details behind the scenes, the workings. That's why I wore my Giants stuff tonight, because I anybody can't. who's a football fan out there knows that uh, the Giants don't know that the devil's in the details. <laughs> they, they're devils <laughs> all over that team, and I can tell you that. Thank God they're on a bye week coming up this week, because they're going bye-bye quick, unfortunately. And I love the Giants, but certainly not trying to publicly bash them, but I thought that would be a good honor. You know, I would, if I ran a restaurant, I would not want them to be the New York Giants. Let me put no. it to you that way, or owned a restaurant. Um, you know, I always say working in a restaurant and every day is like putting on a show on Broadway. Yes. All you know? theater yeah. for us restaurant people. It's all theater. It is. It's all about creating the image. It's all about creating um, the guest experience basically manufacturing and serving a product in the same four walls, which isn't right. something you see typical, you know, and, and also consumed in the same four walls, which is a big part of it. And there's a lot of little subtle nuances that go into play that people don't really always think of right. um, or that they don't notice when it's there, but they sure as heck notice when it's not. Correct. I've had guests complain about, I remember I was working for one company and we changed the napkins in the bathroom that they used to dry their hands on and people started okay. to complain because we used to use uh, like actual cloth and then to save on linen costs, we went to paper and people had like an uproar over it, you know? So it's like, because cloth is nice. That's always like the hand rolled cloth napkin. Right. That's a very five-star type thing to do. This wasn't necessarily a five-star restaurant, but people complained that we brought them back, you know, because people like went there because it did something to, I think, when people see those things, it does something to their senses yeah. in regards to how it makes them feel. And yeah. half of dining out is is how you make somebody feel, in my opinion. Correct. It's a big part of it. There's a statistic I was reading through. I think it was CIA. They do like, ask people who it, two years have gone by since they dined in a restaurant. They can always tell you, you know, it was like 40% can tell you what they had to eat, but 100 gets a hundred percent could tell you how that restaurant made them feel in regards to they were, they were jerk offs over there. I'm not going back or, Oh my God, I should go back. How has so much time gone by? I loved it. You know, the server was right. this, what you have to eat. You know, I don't remember not to knock the chefs out there. Um, because that's obviously like, it's, it's the flip side is they find that if those things aren't in place, if somebody has a bad meal, they'll remember that immediately and you immediately get blacklisted. And it doesn't matter right. how good the service is. So it's kind of Correct. like a flippy, floppy, topsy-turvy type thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think operators need to really 
do certain things in regards to putting themselves in the guest shoes. I remember that I had an area director when I worked for Macaroni Grill 100 years ago who used to tell us we should dine in the restaurant every day. And I said, this guy's nuts, you know? And I was younger at NC, and he would come in and he'd be like, I'm, I'm like, what's the point, you know, going to the host stand, like walking in, like they literally right. would want us to walk outside of the building and come in down the ramp and go to the host stand, and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I started to do it after like two years of him beating it through my hard head. Cause you know, when we're young managers, we don't, we know better than everybody else. Oh, of course. Oh yeah. And, we could be CEOs and, of the company at that age. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> and then every single time I started to do it and I actually had a full experience there, you started to notice things. And you start yeah. to pick up on things that you normally wouldn't have done. And then like, so like, you know, when the, when the host or hostess sits you down and they say this and you're like, oh, wait a minute, that was wrong. They fumble that all the time, you know, and then wow. you start to like, you start to look at it or you do the food tastes different when you're sitting down, actually eating it at the table than when you're eating it over, you know, in the prep kitchen, shoving it down your throat in the back. Right. You, ha you have time to really look in your dining room and look at the dust that's on the wall. The dust you know, that's I actually above. had a, not, not to interrupt you, but I had a job interview like that. Really? I'd love to hear about it. J&B Restaurants, uh, which franchise Friendly's out on Long Island. Okay. Went through the entire interview process, president, vice president, area, uh, the director of operations, great crew. Um, and they basically gave me Friendly's money. And they said, now I, I had to go to every single friendlies location on Long Island. Mm -hmm. And I had to go in as a guest and write a report on my experience. Wow. So from start to finish, as even as far as the bathroom. Wow. Was the you bathroom know what I was? Clean. As then a they made manager. me go to their other one too. They made me go to Taco Bell, which was another franchise that they had. And I did Taco Bell for them. That's great. And I had it on a spreadsheet, like this Excel spreadsheet with every single Friendly's restaurant and every single Taco Bell. They actually had me go as far as, um, what's it called? Queens. Wow. And you could see it's very, very different. Even though it was the same franchise partner, you know what I'm saying? Taco Bell. He had Taco Bell. He had Friendly's. Very yeah. two different. Uh, mindsets on how what the expectations were. Obviously, one's grab and go, quick serve Taco Bell. The other is Friendlies, which is a little bit more. It's obviously it's sit down, very very casual, right? Mm. But the inconsistency in all thirty something restaurants on Long Island and Friendlies was absolutely mind blowing. Because it's there's so many moving parts and so many hands in it trying to get it done that that's why you absolutely have to be infatuated with the details at all times. I, mean, I remember one time when I was, when I was a GM, I had a, a female district manager. This was when I was in full service, took me into the ladies room and made me sit in the stall with her, obviously pants on and everything, but just sit there because of how and wanted me as a man to understand how much more that experience impacts a woman than really uh-huh and honestly when i when i sat there it was a very weird feeling and i was kind of like i might call hr i might not i don't know yet i'm gonna see how this goes obviously i never i'm not an hr caller i've never called hr <laughs> but then uh you know afterwards after the weird feeling left that was actually a really good thing because i did see that experience through a woman's eyes 
right. and things that I would have never thought of as a guy standing at a urinal wash my hands get out in two seconds, you know? Like it's just, it was just a whole different eye opener. And it really made me view that through a lens. And as crazy as it was, she said, going to the bathroom is part of the experience when you're in a restaurant. It's so Yeah, different. it is. It is. I That's mean, why. these guys had me start from the parking lot and end mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. was the parking lot clean? Um, mm-hmm. Were the lines on the parking spots old or were they new? You know, how is the signage out in the parking lot? Mm-hmm. Um, was it swept? Um, and then I would drive around to the dumpster area because that's where, as an operator, that's where your head goes. Like, you know, for me, it wasn't like pulling into the spot. It was like, let me go look at the dumpster. Let me look at the grease trap. Let me look at all that stuff. And again, inconsistencies throughout the entire organization with regards to restaurant to restaurant, mm-hmm. right? Which helped me now as a district manager for them, having eight, eight or nine locations, run my locations better than any other DM around there because I got to see the full picture. And it allowed me to walk in through the lens of a guest instead of the lens of a director of operations or a district manager. And that stayed with me throughout my entire career. Mm. That one experience with friendlies, because as many times as we turn around and we say, guys, it's the guest perception is what the guest sees. The guest sees, you know, the windows when they first walk in, you're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. 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 I have a fire in the kitchen. I need to put out right now. I have one less server on the plot. I don't care about that, but what the guest sees and seeing or being able to understand what the guest sees and how they see it is very, very important for an operator. So I would encourage, and I thought it was a great tool that Friendly's had. I would definitely encourage any owner, operator, vice president, president of a company, when you're interviewing your district managers or your director of operations or even GMs, have them do that exercise. It will completely blow you away mm-hmm. with what these guys get out of it. And if I can give a word of advice to district managers out there, learn as you go for, if you're in the suburbs, obviously, this won't work in urban areas. Learn what cars are your manager's cars and drive and look in their cars. Pig cars equal pig shifts. And that is that is stolen from an area director that I had back in the late 90s. Pig cars equal pig shifts. Well, look at their offices. And you know what? It was if so true. If their offices true. are a mess, then they're a mess, period. Yeah, that's always how it goes. Office speaks a lot. And managers don't see that. But it does. It certainly does. Um, you know, so just a little tip tidbit is this is really more for the operators than the guests who listen out there is it's important that you're on every little detail you know because you never know what one individual is looking at and remember if they wait 12 minutes for their food to comes out of the kitchen it felt like half an hour what are they doing in that time if they don't like the person that they're with and don't want to talk to them or if they're alone they're looking at everything they're looking at your pictures that are crooked they're feeling the table that's you know, wobbly. They're looking at the silverware. They're picking up, taking an extra look at it. They're looking, trying to, trying to look back in the kitchen, which I always see guests doing a lot. You know, get oh yeah, because they're always fascinated with the kitchen, like what goes on. Like guys, I promise you, it's nothing what you think it is. Yeah, but it's, it's always nothing. fascinating. But you know what? To them, maybe it is. Who knows? You know, depending on that's expedition open kitchens always seem to people still love it. Um. You know, but I think managers, they really need to make sure that they have everything together that encompasses putting on a good experience. And to me, the way that you do that is you manage that time 
where you normally want to sit down, that 4.30 time period. You know, I think that most managers want to like sit down, put their feet up, have something to eat and chill out before the dinner rush gets started. They never really got ready for the dinner. Right. I used to have this, um, a district manager that said, I would actually rather see you sitting down having dinner at seven o'clock like a normal person in your restaurant. Because if you could do that, that means that you had everything set up and they don't yeah. need you, you know? Correct. A, a good manager always has to be working towards making their business not need them. Oh, unfortunately, always knowing that it will, but like right. making them irrelevant should be what the goal is. And that all boils down to having your finger on the details with four walls. Set yourself up for success before and after a shift. The best thing you could do. Because then you're not running around chasing your tail at the end of the, uh, during the shift. Yep. I mean, it's funny. My, my wife has heard me have hour and a half long conversations on plastic cutlery on the phone, on a Zoom call. Are you serious? In past lives. Of course, you've been in on those meetings. You never said, did you ever get out of a meeting and be like, I just had an hour long meeting on hamburger buns? Or I just had an hour long yeah. meeting on, I'm on not croissants? Lie, yeah. <laughs> like I literally just spent two hours talking about croissants because we do like, that's like the bigger picture of the details, you know, right. like, let's try this fork. What does it feel like when I hold this in my hand? Oh, that's it. You know what right. I mean? Do we go with the three pong? Do we, the fork? do we go with this size cup? I've even had meetings as to how like our ice cube should, what the dimensions of ice cube should. Really? Yeah. That detailed, man. That detailed. Wow. And I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Like that, those are the things that like, the amount of conversation that you have over that stuff is, is insane, but that's really what our business boils down to because we're selling a product, you know, yes. and sometimes, and people want consistency in that product. We got to make sure that we make it exciting for them. And how is the presentation exciting? You know, um, like I would love to be like, what was big for a while with alcoholic drinks? You, where they were putting dry ice in them. You ever see those? Some chains oh were doing that. Oh my God. The yeah. The dry ice and then it would smoke and bubble yeah. and. It was a whole big, huge to do with those drinks, but it was a trend. Yeah. Me personally, I get that shit. And I'm like, am I, could it not smoke, please? You know, cause you get this shit yeah, out that, of here. Or, or I heard that you, you know, dry ice, you can't touch it. You can't ingest it. So why is it I'm drinking now an alcoholic beverage with dry ice? Like what's going to happen to me now? Right. Like, am I going to burn my mouth? Right. Is my tongue going to freeze and fall off? Like a thousand things go through my head on what's right. going to happen if I have that drink. And I'm the one that doesn't order it. Did you ever eat at Ruth Chris Steakhouse? Yes. They give yes. you that 400 degree plate? Yes. I love oh, that. Let me tell you something. Who does it? Outback does it. The Sizzle Platter. The Boulder Sizzle Creek Platter. Steakhouse did it. That thing was 350, 400 degrees. And they would put a porterhouse on it with the stout butter and the yep. rosemary. And used to go out there with this gigantic porterhouse on mm -hmm. this, this, what is it? Um, the um, Oh my God! What what type of pan was it? Did it was it called? Sizzle platter. Sizzle platter. Skillet. skillet with the with the wooden um, yeah skillet uh, base to it, and used to bring it out. Do you know I burnt my? I still have the scar. I burnt my thumb bringing one out to a table on a four hundred degree. Oh yeah, sizzle platter. It was horrible, horrible. But yeah, I mean those things. That was theater right there. That yeah. was awesome stuff. That, oh, people go nuts over a sizzling fajita walking through the the dining room. You know, I won't eat a fajita unless it's sizzling. If you bring me a dead fajita, and I mean You'll dead because right there's back. no sizzle factor, bring it back. Bring you it. You, just don't, you don't care about my fajita. Bring it back. It's well, I mean, I that, that's pretty much part of the experience. If it doesn't hit the table, not sizzling. Yeah. 
No. Although, I mean, let's be honest. When I worked at Fridays, it was a big deal. You had sizzle platter uh, broth right. to put on the on the plate because not only did you get the sizzle, then you got the smell. Well, let's be honest. And I thought it was great. I never, you know, we've I've worked for chains that's done the sizzling thing. We've all secretly pulled a non-sizzling thing out there and hoping to slide, swing it by on the guest every now and then. But then you get the opposite people. You ever get the people that actually put the fajitas on a plate because they don't like to eat off of metal? The sizzle platter? Yeah. Oh, I love eating off the sizzle platter. I love it because my it. food's like piping hot as it hits my mouth. It's great. Right. Some people are like, can I get that on a plate, please? You get, you get all I kinds, Then I sear my man. chicken. You get so all kinds. I think kinds. it's totally awesome. And that all boils down to what they teach in culinary school. One person's going to tell you it's too salty, and one's going to tell you there's not enough salt. You know, and it's like that's part of the that's part of the, the details, man. It's trying to be able to appeal to many tastes all at one time, multiple hands in an operation, and trying to create that consistency if you're a chain, or just consistency within the building. So this way, the next time they come, they're going to have the same experience. So there's a huge challenge to that 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 we face as operators. Let me tell you something, even single business owners, right? So I'm running into this one issue with one of our clients and the inconsistent, you know exactly who I'm talking about. The inconsistency piece is completely deafening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like every time I go in there, everything is different. And it's like, dude, you have recipes, you have to be aware, but the problem is there's no awareness on the management end of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if there's no awareness on the management end of it or the ownership end of it, right? And you're not familiar with what how things need to be and your recipes not being correct, then you have a huge issue inside your four walls and your business and your organization because now your employees are going to think it's okay and it's like this trickle-down effect. So there's zero consistency on a day-to-day basis, which now affects your sales. Now it affects yeah. your reputation. Now it affects the name on the building. And I can't, like, I don't know how else to drill it into this person's head that if your consistency is not there on a day-to-day, lock your doors, walk away, and call it a day. Like, you're just wasting money at this point. And it irks me because it's so easy to get yourself organized and be consistent. But as an owner and an operator, you need to know, you need to understand your business and you need to know what's going on in your four walls. Like, you need to be there five, six days a week. That's it. If you're not, if you can't do that, then just lock your doors right now. Especially in the climate that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, consistency something tells me you're going to make him listen to this episode now. Oh, I am. You know, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm. I'm not even gonna wait till it's edited. I'm just gonna send it right over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Matter of fact, tonight I'm gonna wake him up. <laughs> Be like, dude, listen to this now. <laughs> This is but it comes you, out of love. Friends. It comes out of love because Absolutely, I care because about him and his business. And we want what him happened? to do well. He is. He's a great guy. He is. We want love him to, him to do death well. like a brother. I just I need him to be successful, and I take his business personally. But you could probably open ten, lo- ten locations of that business if he gets his head out of he his could've. rear. He could if he wants to, to listen. It would be nice because he deserves it. But whatever, yeah. man, it is what it is. It is what so. it is. So with that, I think it's time we put a bow on it. Yes. So or at this our I think we have giant's hold. pillow. I you know, now you have props. I cannot stand this. 
I'm going to have props. It's getting towards the end. I'm getting ready for bed. I can't. I can't. I'm going to go sleep like the goddamn Giants have been all season. Oh, let me tell you something. That show, before we end this, that show Succession, Mm. I am obsessed with. If there's anybody out there that needs a really great series, go to HBO Max and watch Succession. It is an absolutely amazing show. Keith, thank you. I have been binging it for the last three days. It was my pleasure. No, like I'm like literally watching it while I'm in the car. It's bad, man. Totally so cold fall of the week is, I don't have one. What? I don't have one. <laughs> but what I have decided to do, you're, I was, I wanted to hype you up for it and then shoot you down. <laughs> Make it the New so, York Jets because they suck. Go ahead. <laughs> I've decided that with Cove Hall, it needs a revamp. And next week, I'm going to relaunch Cove Hall. Because let's be honest, COVID's not staying around forever. No, it's not. But it's Cove Hall is going to stay with us forever. It will. But I'm going to it broaden will. its horizons next week. And I'm going to do what we call a menu rollout official on our next episode. Okay. And re-roll out Cove Hall. And um, we still need a picture of a Cove Hall. Next week, we're going to revamp and do what we call in the restaurant business a rollout. I'm going to roll out and rebrand what a Cove Hole is. Because COVID's not going to stay with us forever. Eventually, it's going to go away and the plexiglass will come down. That is my belief. Yes. You know? Mr. de Blasio, tear down those plexiglass walls. That's the great Ronald Reagan spinoff of his thing. Um <laughs> But, you know, but, but we got to re-roll it out and we got to make sure that it's understood on a broader scale so we can keep okay. this with us. And I know we're going to have our drawing of the Cove Hall next week so we can show our listeners what it looks like. Yep. And we're going to get T-shirts going, baseball jerseys. We're going to get some stuff. Cove Hall merch. And we do have a winner. Um, and like Keith said, we're going to showcase it um, on our next episode. Cove Hall. Logo. With that said, guys, thank you for listening to Behind the Counter. Please follow us and subscribe on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, visit our website at dhhospitalitygroup.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. And one more thing, we are now on TikTok, Behind the Counter with DHH. Nice. Yeah. Like us on everything, guys. Like us on everything. Have a great night, guys. See you next week. Good night. <laughs>